Schwab Trading is now powered by Ameritrade to give you a new, elevated trading experience tailor-made for trader minds. Go deeper with Thinkorswim, the powerful, award-winning trading platforms now at Schwab. Unlock support from the Trade Desk, our team of passionate traders who live and breathe trading like you do. And sharpen your skills with an expanding library of online education crafted just for traders. All designed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Let's bring in Anastasia Amoroso, Chief Investment Strategist for iCapital. Anastasia, what a first half of the year. 20% plus decline in the S&P 500. We got double-digit declines in the Bloomberg's corporate bond index, treasury bond index, the 60-40 portfolio is dead. What do we do in the second half? <laughs> yeah, well, it <laughs> has been a very, a very del a difficult and challenging start. You're right, the 60-40 portfolio is down almost 17% uh, year to date. So it, it's really been um, it, a tough start. But I do think as a result of that, a lot of things that it needed to correct did correct in the first half of the year. And when you think about it, we did a lot of heavy lifting. We came into the year thinking we might get three rate hikes from the Fed, and instead we're going to get to 3% or higher on the Fed fund uh, rate by the end of the year. So that's a huge pivot that needed to happen. And as a result, we needed to see the reset in valuations. But we have seen that. If you look at the NASDAQ valuation, the P went from 35 times to 22 times or so today. So that's a significant correction. We've seen the crypto craze that, you know, was alive and well at the tail end of 2021 um, take take a big leg lower. And I think some of that needed to happen as well. That froth needed to come out. Mm. So as a result, as I think about the second half of the year, I do still think we're not out of the woods yet and there's going to be challenges and we could talk about some of this. I think some things may break. But having said that, we're not at 4,700 anymore. We're at 3,700 on the S&P. And if we, if we go down to 3,500 or so, that might be justified by multiples and earnings. That's still a lot less down to go than where we started the year. Well, and so that's still higher than where we were when the COVID crisis forced governments yeah. around the world to shut down completely their economies. I mean, let's not forget how serious that was, right? Um, it's It's been a bad quarter for the 60-40 portfolio, but last year was aces. We went from 3,200 yep. at the end of 2019 to 4,800 at the end of 2021 after a global pandemic. I mean, was that justified? Well, I think it was at the time, perhaps, right? I mean, there was nothing to stop it because the Fed was incredibly easy. We've had 0% uh, interest rate and people felt comfortable taking on risk. The beta trade was very much alive and well and you know justified by where the Fed was and um, the, the risk appetite that was there. But it's certainly not justified today. But I would make the point is, I don't think we need to go to where we were just during the pandemic or just coming out of the pandemic because the reason I sort of circle this 3,500 level on the S&P is because earnings estimates are higher than they were before, uh, but they probably need to come down some. 
And if we have a base case scenario that it's not a recession, but a slowdown, consumer-led slowdown, that earnings revisions need to come through to the tune of 6 or 7%. And so you do the math on that and you apply a multiple of 15 or 16 times, then that gets you to about 3,500 on the S&P, maybe a little bit lower. So, um, so yes, I think probably a little bit lower still, but not to the levels that we saw just coming out of the so pandemic. So that's pretty conservative for earnings estimates. We, we've we been talking um, here in the newsroom about a story that Jess Menton and Lou Wang wrote. Peloton, uh, analysts still see Peloton tripling in price. Um, analysts still see Uber more than doubling. Analysts still see Carvana, Carvana doubling. Um <laughs> Don't earnings estimates need to come down pretty significantly? Why are sell-side analysts so slow to bring these earnings estimates down? Well, I think for some of the companies, perhaps some of which you mentioned, they probably do have some some further room to go. But the reason I was referring to the 6 or 7% for the broad indices, the median earnings revision in a recessionary environment is about 13%. If you assume that we're not going to a full-fledged several consecutive quarters of negative GDP recession, that I don't think 13% at the index level is justified. I think half of that is the, the most likely scenario. And if you look at $240 on next 12 month earnings, you apply that six or 7% haircut to that, and that's what gets you to about 224. So that's at the index level. But I do think there may need to be more froth more exuberance that need to come out of some of the sec long-term secular growth trades. And it's not universal, but right. what's happened for the last two years, you've seen massive acceleration in things like e-commerce and you know perhaps the Pelotons of the world, but that's not repeatable. And those growth rates cannot possibly compare to what they've seen in the last couple of years. So right. perhaps there's more to go there. All right, Anastasia, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate getting your perspective here. A brutal first half of the year for investors, um, you know, hopefully a little bit better in the second half, but who knows. Anastasia Amoroso, Chief Investment Strategist for iCapital, and also a proud graduate of the University of New Mexico, Los Lobos. That's very, very cool there. Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, bringing you an expanding library of education with even more ways to sharpen your trading skills. Access new online courses, insightful webcasts, articles, engaging videos, and more, all curated just for traders. Plus, guided learning paths with content designed to fit your unique interests. No sifting to find exactly what you need so you can spend your time learning to trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com trading. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. 
All right, we have yet another Supreme Court ruling. This could be the last. Um, we're going to go to June Grasso, our legal analyst, to talk about the remain in Mexico uh, ruling kind of fell in the direction that the Biden court that the Biden administration wanted it to, although they lost the EPA um, uh, uh, case. Let's start with remain in Mexico. OK, OK. Is I that- was going to say that. The blow to the Biden administration on the EPA case is far greater than the win okay. here on Remain in Mexico. Okay? okay, so there's it's not like oh they won one and they lost one. They won one and then they they won a half of one and then they won and then they lost a big one. So anyway, Remain in Mexico that's the policy that the Trump administration put into effect that because there's not enough room for the immigrants crossing the border that if they don't have room they would get them they would return them to Mexico where they would stay and then these tent cities that were while their asylum uh, bid was processed right which can take forever right so and then the 10 cities grew up it was very dangerous biden administration wanted to stop that and two of the two of the uh, republican-led states sued so here the supreme court said and it was a five to four vote because chief justice roberts who and uh justice brett kavanaugh agreed with the liberals so it was it was those five against the uh, four conservatives that um, it didn't violate the rules for him to have this remain in Mexico to rescind the policy because he had they had given a good explanation unlike the DACA case a few years ago they'd given a good explanation and they could rescind it now this goes back to the district court judge in Texas who is who has been really hostile to the Biden administration. So it doesn't really end here. I mean, this could come back up again. No one's talking about this. This could possibly come back up again. How does but it come back? How- because if if the district court says that they're sending it back to the district court for details to be worked out. So if, suppose the district court says, you know, this still doesn't work according to the guidelines you gave me, Supreme Court, then it could come up again. I mean, it probably won't, yep. but it's just a possibility. I so, see. It, and, but in this case, what was, what was difficult about this case for the states who oppose it is that they basically would have to tell the Biden administration, you have to engage with a foreign state, with Mexico, and get an agreement with Mexico to allow this to happen. So they would really have been interfering in, you know, foreign affairs, mm-hmm. which during the oral arguments, they say, what do, I remember, I think Elena Kagan said, what are we going to tell Mexico to, you know, keep everybody here? And <laughs> Well, they so- have indeed negotiated. Uh, negotiated that with the Mexicans, which I think is crazy. With, but with the Trump administration I, did. Now the exactly. Biden hasn't. I had confused this earlier, and I'll correct myself now, with the Title 42 issue, okay. which that was a COVID-driven thing, right? right? That's that was, still in effect. So that yeah. is still in effect because Biden administration wanted to end that. That COVID was used, Title 42, uh, public health emergency. In a similar way, right? To send asylum seekers right. back while they're because they were worried that those asylum seekers might spread COVID. Right. Yeah. So the courts have told the Biden administration, you can't end that. So they're still using Title 42 at the border. And, you know, secretly, I think they might have been relieved that they had Title 42 because they are not prepared for the influx mm. at the border in the summer months. You know, it starts to build up. Clearly, so- we uh, were given a tragic example of how dangerous that is um, uh, in the last couple of days. Let's get to the EPA uh, decision, which you think is more important, which is a big blow to the Biden administration. Well, you know, it's cutting back on the EPA, which is the agency that handles this, their ability to set rules to curb 
climate change. So it's a huge blow. And, you know, one wonders now what's going to happen. And also, as I, you know, I mentioned before, this, the conservatives on this court are against what is called the administrative state. They want to cut back on the agency's rules, on the agency's ability to, you know, to put rules into effect, all the different federal agencies. And, you know, you know, if Congress were there to step in and make rules, this wouldn't be quite as big of a loss. And the conservatives who push this through, who push these through, know that that's the case, that Congress is not going to start passing rules now. Do they want it to go back to the states? Is this a states' rights issue from the conservatives on the Supreme Court? I think it's a, <laughs> <laughs> I think, I don't know if it's a states' rights issue as much as it's, we don't want the these administrative agencies to be making decisions, they're bureaucrats, and it should be the elected representatives of the people making these kinds of decisions. But, uh, you know, how is, I don't know how Biden rather, is going to Rather than his, people that are trained in this and do it for a living. I, Exactly. Why would you want them making decisions about, you know? This is the big government. I guess you just don't want the Washington big government, you know. It sort of drained the swamp in a different different respect. It's interesting how these, uh, how people in this country, looking at it from outside, because I've been living in Germany for years, fall on different sides of the ideological. For example, they want small government, but they want huge border control, right? (laughs) They don't want the government to be able to decide anything, but... Not, not the important decisions, but the death penalty, right? Right. <laughs> because that's not a very important decision. Yeah. No, it's um, – no one said it makes sense. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but that that's our Supreme Court, and they have ruled, and so now they go on uh, summer vacation, and we'll see what they do yeah. uh, during 12 the next o'clock, session. 12 o'clock, they're going to have – Oh, Ketanji right. Brown Jackson yep. sworn in, so I think they'll all so be they'll there for that. So they'll have champagne and then split. <laughs> champagne yeah. and split. All right. You know, it champ- used to be there. There was a story that one of the justices used to have his have a limo waiting to take him to the airport <laughs> right. right after the last decision. Exactly. All right, June Grasso, Bloomberg's legal analyst. Thank you so much. All right, let's check in with Everett Millman here. Uh, he does all that uh, commodity stuff for, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. He looks at all kinds of coins, but also yeah, Gainesville. That's right. That's right. At Gainesville Coins, chief market strategist. But Everett, also crypto. Yeah, no. So let's start with crypto. All right. We got Everett Crypto, 19,000 print. We were below, we were down to 18,800. What's going on in the world of crypto here? Right. I think it's worth noting that the crypt, entire crypto market as a whole has been falling dramatically. So it's not just Bitcoin, although that's obviously the one that we're all going to focus on. I think that this is a sign of crypto winter being in full force. And a lot of what's caused Bitcoin to go down is really exogenous to the, to the coin itself. Uh, we've seen that it has lately followed the stock market lower. And I think we can reason our way to why that is the case, that a lot of more institutional holders are now in the Bitcoin space. And so as stocks fall, they liquidate their Bitcoin. Um, and the fact that other crypto projects, other crypto lenders starting to see some cracks and failing, um, they often use Bitcoin as collateral. So we've seen a lot of selling of Bitcoin to try and prop like up Genesis. the prices of other cryptos. Correct. So I think those are the main culprits here. Um, yeah, there have been a, a number of failures, or now we have heard uh, it reported that Three Arrows is being forced to liquidate. Um, and I've also seen forecasts for Bitcoin to fall down to 12,000. Still, to put it in perspective, Everett, I heard um, someone say earlier it's the worst quarter for Bitcoin since Q3 of 2011. So I looked back at the price action in 
Q3 of 2011, Bitcoin at that point, it wasn't at 19,000 or 12,000 or 7,000 or 3,000. It went from $16 to $5. So we've come a long way, baby. Uh, absolutely. I think when you zoom out like that, that is a great way to look at it. And most of the early adopters and some of the people who are old heads in Bitcoin, they've seen this sort of cyclical pattern time and time again over the past 10 years. So kind of retracing back to where our starting point was, anyone who has been holding along the way is very happy with the performance of their cryptos, um, and particularly for Bitcoin being the biggest, most recognizable one. At some point, Everett, I seem to recall folks, you know, as we're all learning about crypto and Bitcoin, uh, talking about it, maybe Bitcoin is a hedge for inflation, but that doesn't appear to be the case, does it? Well, that has not played out thus far. As okay. I mentioned, I think it is those exogenous factors. But yep. by its design, Bitcoin is supposed to be a deflationary currency. The supply of Bitcoin every four years, um, the, the pace of the supply growth gets cut in half, the so-called halvening. Um, and so this is a deflationary design. And although that does solve the inflationary problem that we have with fiat money, um, as far as I can tell, it introduces a second problem, which is, uh, relates back to one of the oldest principles in economics known as Gresham's Law, that good or bad money drives out good. Essentially, people want to spend cheap money that's losing its value and hold on to the money that is rising in value. So if indeed Bitcoin is supposed to be deflationary over time, it begs the question, why on earth would anyone spend Bitcoin at a certain point? Um, you would want to keep Bitcoin and spend everything else. So I think... Uh, that's very that's many years uh, still out down the road, but it does bring up an interesting philosophical question about what is sound money and is Bitcoin actually money? Um, I think it's quite fair that the CFTC is going to be regarding it as a commodity because uh, Bitcoin does convert electricity into new coins. Uh, so it is sort of backed by a commodity. Okay, good stuff. Everett Millman, appreciate it. Love getting your thoughts here, uh, all things commodities and most uh, notably uh, crypto over the last couple and of years. we learned something new, Gresham's Law. We're going for it. Uh, named in 1860 by economist Henry Dunning McLeod after Sir Thomas Gresham. Thank goodness for Google. Everett Millman, Chief Market Analyst for Gainesville Coin. Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade. Unlocking the power of Thinkorswim, the award-winning trading platforms loaded with features that let you dive deeper into the market. Visualize your trades in a new light on Thinkorswim desktop with robust charting and analysis tools, all while you uncover new opportunities with up-to-the-minute market news and insights. Thinkorswim is available on desktop, web, and mobile to meet you where you are. It's built by the trading obsessed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com trading. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success.
Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. The building of real estate construction and all that good stuff. John Fish, CEO and chairman of Suffolk Construction Company, joins us here. Uh, John, thanks so much for joining us here. We'll get to the kind of the interest rate story angle in, in a bit. But I want to just talk to you about if you want to go out and build a building, whether it's a, a residential real estate or commercial real estate, as a construction guy, John, can you get the labor? Can you get the raw materials? If you do get the raw materials, do you have to pay through the nose? Give us a sense of what it's like to actually build something today. You know, Matt, it, Paul, thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, again, it's probably one of the most challenging times our industry has had over the last 20, 25 years. It, again, you pointed out the material costs are as high as they've ever been. And again, the shortage of labor across the board. And that's just not the East Coast, but it's the entire country right now. And again, because there's a demand for talent out there, there's one person for every two job openings when you think about that. And that's detrimental to our business. And what it does, it drives up wages. At the end of the day, wages over the last 18 months have grown up substantially in the same thing with material costs. And then you introduce the concept of supply chain. I mean, that also, uh, again, creates a tremendous amount of disruption. What we see in the construction industry right now in the real estate industry is a tremendous amount of uncertainty, and our industry as a whole doesn't deal well when, when there's a deal of uncertainty. So um, you don't see or do you see inflation rolling over? We've noticed in some places – um, for example, goods that you would find at Walmart and Target, um, they've overstocked. Kriti Gupta was just on talking to us about shipping costs, which have rolled over slightly, um, still not cheap by any means. Um, and, and we're watching for softening of other uh, inflation met- or other metrics. Do you see any of that in, in construction? We, not as of yet. I think what's going to happen, I think in the next quarter, we're probably going to see things slowing itself down. But we're still climbing. Uh, from a cost perspective point of view across the country. And I do think as this negative news comes back in, into the marketplace, people are going to start putting the brakes on a little bit at the end of the day. But I would say this, Matt and Paul, we've got a long way to go. You're at 8.6% inflation right now at this particular point in time. We don't do well until we're down to the 3 the 2.5% levels. And so at the end of the day, I think we've got a ways to go, and I think the only way to do it is the Fed continue to put the squeeze on, and that's raising interest rates. And, and again, I will say this very, very you know, uh, definitively, is I think we, we, we need a recession at this point in time. I think it's the only way to sort of choke off the inflationary pressures that are on the economy right now and get it over with quickly. Because I do think because of the fact the consumer still has almost $5.4 trillion of savings in their pocket, once we sort of ring out this inflation and the consumer's mm-hmm. on the sidelines and comes back into the ballpark, all of a sudden we're going to see the economy moving back up again. So I'm bullish in the long term. I think we've got a period of time of 12 to 18 months that it's going to be challenging right now. And my attitude is, hey, let, let, let's put the brakes on. Let's get this over with. Re, let's rebalance the labor market. Let's rebalance the supply chain uh, and, and get back to work. John, on the commercial side, um, you know, I think the work from home thing, getting back to the office thing, the how people are going to be working going forward is still very much in flux uh, in the United States. As you talk to some of your bigger clients, how are they thinking about office space going forward? You know, I, I think most companies right now are re-engineering how they're using their space, which is, which, which is smart. But at the end of the day, again, I think it's a short-term phenomena. Okay? We might be talking about 12, 18, 24 months out. But at the end of the day, the only way to build culture, the only way to get promoted is people be back at work at the end of the day. And we are social animals as human beings. And what we need, we, we, we thrive on that energy. 
And what happens is a company maintains a competitive advantage, I believe, through their culture. And you can't build culture remotely. So how's it look then? How's it look in Boston? Can, can I tell you something right now? I, I think overall, you know, people, I would say we probably have 60, 65% people back to work. Generally speaking, our company's back at 98, 98% back Ooh. to work, which I'm proud of. But at the end of the day, I think Boston, like every other community, is grappling with this issue. Because right now, labor is, is, is in demand. They have to say as to what's going to go on with the work rules. Right now, we're seeing this with unionization at Apple. We're seeing this at, at Starbucks across the board. But my sense is, as the market softens a little bit, all of a sudden, you'll have more of a, 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 a balance in the environment. And I think that's what we need at this particular point in time. And that's why I am a strong advocate you know, continue raising the rates, although I don't like it, and, yep. and, and real estate is very, very uncomfortable uh, with, uh, with interest rate rising because real estate runs on credit, as we all know, and doesn't like the uncertainty. But at the end of the day, my attitude, let's get this pain out of the system, okay, and let's move forward. All right, By the John, way, I, I just want to say, for those listeners who, have, who don't know, have never uh, heard of it, been, or seen it, the Boston Pops is one of the coolest events I've ever attended oh, in yep. America. Um, coming up on this, I guess, Sunday and Monday, uh, it used to be 500,000 people gather outside the half shell there to watch, and it's going to be getting back to numbers like that. John, do you go? Do you watch the Pops? We, we do. I, I, I'm a strong supporter of the Pops. I think it's one of the best uh, you know, organizations, I think, in the country, to be honest with you. It's a huge cultural event for the city of Boston. And I would just say this to you. It's something that we as, as Bostonians extremely proud of. And my sense is that number is probably up to 750 to 800,000 this wow. year. And awesome. uh, we'll, keep, you know, we'll hope for good weather. All right. It's, that's uh, starting at 5 it p.m. Is, here on Bloomberg Radio Monday. It's big. It is so much fun. I mean, I have to say, anyone in the area, if you're close enough, get <laughs> to it. Um, it's just a great party. It really, it really gives you that feeling that the country is coming together, yep. which is a feeling that we've been lacking in the past couple of weeks, uh, months, or years. Yep. And uh, we're going to be showing that at 5 p.m. here on Bloomberg Radio. All right, that's coming up. We had John Fish there, CEO and chairman, Suffolk Construction Company. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.